Good. Great to have you. Great to be here um, at the MUFON headquarters yeah. here in Irvine. Go all the way over. I appreciate that. I drove from LA. I'm excited to be here. It's a really cool place. You have a library. You have boxes of research from, you've been around since 1969. So right. it's- yeah, Over uh, 50 years of research in our files. And actually even going back further than that, because people began reporting things to us, even all the way back into the 1800s. So we have uh, files from- all over the world and all over the time frame. So it's uh, so even fun. before the existence of MUFON, you have records of people reporting oh, yeah. UFOs. And oh yeah, is is all this research? Um, I, I know some of it is here, but do you have just it? It must be a vast amount of. We have uh, approximately a few hundred boxes that are off at uh, uh, with Iron Mountain. So that's who we've used as our. Uh, since we moved out of Cincinnati, Ohio, and took them out of Hangar One, where they were previously, uh, they're now with um, a professional organization that, that they just—that's what they do. They, they secure records secure in records warehouses, and keep them secure for us. So, yeah, very much so. Although most everything we've got has been digitized, so uh, we have—we uh, only keep the other files for the paper purposes of—they're of, of, uh, the original files. So, um, but if people want things, most of it's available online. And MUFON is a subscription. Or a membership-based right. Well, so so you know, if you have an interest in UFOs, you can go to our website, MUFON.com, and you can find out you know where the latest sightings are happening. Uh, some of the latest videos, we'll post them up there. We're also all the time scanning the uh, media to find out if there's anything being written about extraterrestrials, UFOs, or anything space-related that might have something to do with this subject. Uh, we post that on our website. Um, if you have a specific interest in a uh, uh, photograph or video, you can pull that down off of our. A track UFO site. Um, so that's all free to the public to use the information. We basically act as a collection point for the world so people can put things into our database and then people could see it immediately. Uh, we also train field investigators who are members who've taken the field investigator training course and become certified. And they actually go out and meet with the witnesses, talk to them, and try to determine exactly what it might have been. About 70% of what comes into us is explainable one way or another. Uh, about 30% remains unexplained. And even of the 30% that remains unknown after investigation, we still feel that there's probably only 5% of the total cases that come in that are something that probably not from this earth. So um, it's a very, it's like one in 20. And so you think about that. Uh, no wonder it's been so hard to get the UFO subject uh, taken seriously because it's like crying wolf 19 times. And then the one time you did, cried wolf, no, no one came. You had a real UFO there. So, um, we're trying to pull the signal out of the noise, and there's a lot of noise in the UFO field, as you might know. Um, so that's what MUFON does for for um, uh, benefit of the public, is we become the people who try to get the signal out of the noise and make it available to the public for them to see. How did you get affiliated with the organization, and have you had a sighting yourself? I, I was reading a little bit about you, and I... And I I think I know where this is going, but if you, if you could tell the, the listeners. Yeah, those are two, two excellent questions. Let me start with the first one. Uh, I've been involved with MUFON since about 1989, 90-ish time frame, so almost 30 years now. Um, I got involved with it because someone suggested that I go to a UFO conference, and while, while I was there uh, at the LAX uh, Hyatt, uh, I found that there was a group called MUFON. And it looked to me like they were very scientifically oriented. They were investigating UFO sightings. And they had regular meetings that I could attend. So I started attending them. Then I became a member. And then I became an investigator. And then I became a state section director. So I kind of worked my way up in the organization. There was never any intent for me to be the executive director. It was more 
I had a fascination with the subject because of my own personal sighting, which is your second question, uh, that happened to me when I was a young kid. So uh, there's many, many people out there who've had their own experiences, whether it's UFO-related or just paranormal-related, that allow them to know that the uh, universe, as it's uh, portrayed to us, is much bigger, uh, much bigger questions out there in terms of how everything works, how consciousness affects matter, how, um, why we're here, what's going on, who are these people who seem to be observing us uh, in these UFOs. So uh, those are all fascinating questions, and they're things that drive a lot of people to become members of MUFON. And you become a member um, for like five ninety eight a month, or you can pay a one-time fee annually, or you can become a benefactor uh, and then not have to pay uh, ever again. But it's Basically, uh, you get the first hand, you get behind the scenes look at the case uh, stuff, the investigations, and things like that. Um, so, we just give people more information about the sightings, about the investigations that went on. They get our, our monthly journal, which is an e journal, but also you can get it in a printed form called the MUFON Journal 24 pages packed full of UFO sightings and case studies and things like that, and other, other great articles. Um, it's uh, it's you know we're 100 percent funded by the public, so that's what we're, that's how we manage to stay in business is to have memberships, donations. Uh, we have store sales, so we can get merchandise with the shirts with our logo on it, hats with our logo on it, uh, and also our annual symposium, which this year is in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be July 17th, 18th, and 19th at the JW Marriott in Las Vegas, Nevada. And our theme for this year is UAPs, uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. That's the new term that the government and military seem to want to use, so we're going to use it. UAPs, military and government witnesses, speak out. And we're going to have some really incredible people there talking about that are that have been in the military or are currently in the military, talking about their experiences while in the military encountering these objects. So it should be a really great time. And evidence has, I mean, been coming out for a while of that. I know there was an, a Navy video that was made, um, pretty four, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, pretty popular by the. It was it to the to the Stars Academy. Or well, to the Stars uh, published it. Was part of the group that released it, but it was actually from the A Tip group. It was Lou Elizondo who had taken those and got them approved for release prior to his leaving uh, the A Tip program because he was in charge of the A Tip program for ten years. Uh, decided to step out because he was frustrated that more wasn't being done with the data they were collecting, uh, which has been a frustration of ours for over 70 years, frankly. Uh, And he wanted to go um, see what he could do on the outside. Sometimes it's easier to make change on the outside than it is on the inside. And that's just true of most things. Because a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. Yeah, the people who don't want the information out, it's it's too troublesome to them to, to have it come out. It's not like they're trying to hide something as much as it is well, if we tell people these things are real, then they're going to know what we're doing to protect them. I mean, that's just one scenario. Uh, and, and frankly, these things run circles around our best fighter aircraft, so how can we assure the public that we can protect them? So I think, I think that's part of the story. I'm sure there's other parts to the story. But those videos came out uh, directly because Lou Elizondo got them approved prior to leaving and made them available to uh, the New York Times and others to release. And then, of course, he became part of the uh, TTSA, To the Stars, which is the group that Tom DeLong started. So From Blink-182. From Blink-182, exactly. Um, I want to get back to that, if that's okay. But can we talk, and I think it's okay to talk about yeah. it because it's in your bio, but yeah. about your experience. You, you might have told this story many, oh, sure. many times. Yeah. 
Uh, but you were a young kid, and correct right. me if I'm messing any of this up, and you, and I want to say your brother. Yes, my brother Jeff. Uh, were trying to construct a UFO, right. at which point you witnessed the UFO. Yeah, so that- let me back up. I mean, so here's the backstory. My brother, um, who's exactly a year younger than me by a few days, he, uh, I would describe him as a as a young Tesla. In other words, he was one of these guys who just knew how to do things. It was like it just would come to him, whether however it came to him. He, he just knew how to do stuff. So at the age of eight, he was fixing the neighbor's television sets, which back in the <laughs> early 60s, I mean, those were vacuum tube sets. Now, it, you know, it wasn't too complicated because he would just pull all the tubes out of the back. He'd take them down to a thrifty drugstore, and they had a tube tester. He'd plug them in, find out which one wasn't working, buy that tube, and go back and plug them all back in. But 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 still, I mean, how many eight-year-olds do you know who would be repairing so a So he just set? had this natural knowledge for building. He and just seems to know how to do things. Yeah, he, even today, technology. He the, I had a story about my air conditioner that broke, and the, of course, the, air, the repairman comes out, and he wants $5,000 to replace the entire unit. I call my brother up. He comes out, and an hour later... <laughs> He's got it taken apart and tested, and he's got a part in his hand. So we need to go to the store and buy this part. We go down there for like a dollar ninety-eight. We buy a capacitor, and he goes back, puts it in. The thing works fine. I'm thinking, so five thousand dollars or like a dollar ninety-eight. Maybe it was nineteen eighty-eight. I don't know, but it was like, you know, for less than twenty bucks, I fixed the, the, the he fixed the air conditioner. And I said, to him, how, how do you know how to do that? He says, I, I don't. Know, I just know. You know, he's never been trained. He's he's never gone to college. He's just high school graduate, and just he knows how to do stuff. So. Uh, that's the kind of guy he was. So we were building things the other day, and we were playing around with stuff, and we were reading these magazines and newspaper articles about UFOs because back in those days, the late 50s, early 60s, UFOs were front-page news. They weren't called UFOs. They were called flying saucers. They were front-page news on newspapers. If there was a sighting, it made the front page. If there was a story, it made the front page. Um, and one day we were, we were looking at this thing, and we saw an article by um, – Donald Kehoe, Donald Kehoe that at the time was a retired Marine, uh, I believe major, who was running NICAP, which was a predecessor to MUFON. NICAP um, uh, was a UFO investigative group uh, run by a lot of military people, frankly, and uh, they were looking into the subject back in the 50s and early 60s. And he had an article in this magazine, and we read it. We started talking about it. We decided, well, these craft must be using some kind of electromagnetic propulsion system and so we started playing around with it, and we said, well, well, I bet we could build one of these things. We designed a 30-foot craft, which is interesting that it was 30 feet because that's kind of the typical size of a craft, 30 feet with three pulsed electromagnetic engines, and we were going to construct this thing in our backyard. That was the plan. We drew, we drew it up on paper. And then my mom took us to the store one day for shopping. She Rather than leave us home to, <laughs> to our own devices, she took us to the store. And here we are at Thrifty's Drug Store, and we're sitting there waiting for her to shop. And we go over to the magazine rack, and there in the bottom right-hand corner, tucked way back was this little half-sized magazine called Flying Saucer Review. It was a U.K. mag. It's no longer in uh, print, but it. Uh, we decided to buy it for a buck. We paid a buck, bought it, took it home, sitting on his, his bed reading this thing in the back bedroom. And uh, it says in there, these flying saucers are seen around military installations, nuclear power plants, and places where anti-gravity research is being done. So we're two little kids. I'm 10, he's 9. I look at each other and we say, well, you know, we're doing anti-gravity research. Maybe what will come here? Literally within a month, uh, he comes into my room, 6.30 on a Saturday morning, and gets me out of bed. And he says, there's somebody trying to break into my room. I said, well, what do you mean trying to break into your room? He said, well, they're playing with the screen. They're trying to take the screen out. I said, well, did you look out the window to see what it was? Now, this was uh, about mid-April. 
1965, the sun was already up. It was before the time change happened. This is here in California? This was in Thousand Oaks, California, which is interesting because a famous celebrity just passed away in Thousand Oaks. So, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, and so he said, well, there's someone trying to get there. So I said, well, let's go back and take a look. So we walked down into the house. Down, I was, I was out in the garage because... <laughs> My parents built had four kids in, in five years, four boys, and they were living in a two-bedroom home in Woodland Hills, and they built a house in 1958, which we moved into in 1959 in Thousand Oaks, California, and it was a three-bedroom. So they thought they'd really broken the code, right? You've got two boys in one bedroom, two boys in the other bedroom, and then, uh, well, then we had a... They had, they had an oopsie baby. I call it the oopsie baby, which is my sister. Um, nobody's an oopsie baby. Everything everything is planned, whether you, whether you think you're an accident or not, everything is planned, but... Uh, so they had to build another room. So my father basically took the garage and turned it into a bunk room. So I'm sleeping out in the garage. He's sleeping at the other end of the house. So we walk to the other end of the house to his room, look through the doorway at the window, and there's nothing there. We can't see anything there. It's just, I, I don't remember if it was shutters or drapes, but it, you know whatever it was, was over the, there was a covering over the window, and there was nothing going on there. So I said, well, let's go out in the backyard and see what's going on. Um, walk down the hallway. As we're walking down the hallway... The sun was backlighting the living room window, which was a wall of drapes. We had all plate glass windows there. And uh, my brother says, look. And so I spun around to look at the window from talking to him, and I didn't see anything. I said, what? And he said, well, there was a shadow standing next to that, to that door, I mean, uh, to, the, to the sliding glass door. Um, now, it was, this is behind a drape, so it was a shadow. And when I told you to look, it floated backwards. And I thought to myself, that's really strange. Floated backwards. That's like, I've never heard anyone say that a, like if it was a person standing there, you know, they, they, they moved away from the window. They didn't float backwards. So I'm thinking he's just pulling my leg, just, you know, pull, trying to put one over on me. It's 6.30 in the morning. I'm like, come on, really? On a Saturday. So I, we go out into the garage and into the backyard. We walk to the end of the house and I look back towards his window. And we're both looking back towards his window and there's nothing there. So I'm thinking, okay, you got me. You know, six thirty on Saturday morning. I'm up here. You got me out here looking for something that's not there. Ha ha. You know, good. I'm thinking this to myself. I'm not saying it to him. So we turn around to go back into the house, and there, thirty feet from us, hovering ten feet off the ground, is a landing craft with land, four landing gear on it, uh, making a humming noise like a transformer on a telephone pole late at night. Yeah, that, that hum, that low hum, and. Uh, my first recollection was, oh, my gosh, these things are real. Like, we're staring at it. It's like right in front of our faces. So this was not in the sky. This was basically right in front of your It, it was in the sky. It was, it, it, was, it was 10 feet off the ground, about 30 feet from us, so it wasn't that far. It would be like if you're standing on one side of the street and you're looking across the street to the other side of the street, and the, and the car there has been levitated up about 10 feet off the ground. That's what it would look like. But not far into the clouds, like no, a lot no, of sighting. This, this was this, this in, was right in, in your, front of us. Yeah. Right in front of I mean, us. If I had taken a rock, I could have thrown it and hit it, you know. Um, I'm not sure why I did do that, but I, <laughs> I was I was just amazed. I wasn't afraid. I was just amazed that this thing is right there. So the second thought that went through my mind is, oh my gosh, this thing looks like it's man-made. Now, why did I think that? Because it was if you took a brick and you blew it up to 8 to 10 feet long by 4 feet wide by 3 feet tall and completely smoothed the edges, completely smoothed the edges and painted it bright orange, then put blue corrugated like uh, dryer hose landing gear on it that this came out of the sides and dropped down, black suction cups on the bottom, it's like a cobalt blue, the, the landing gear. And they were like round, circular, like dryer hose coming out. And then brown crossbars on each side between the land, these landing gears so that it would compress like a scissoring function when the landing gear, when, when the craft landed, the scissoring, scissoring function would, would kind of do this um, up and down. 
and there was a bolt right in the middle where the scissors fight, which which is if you look at a pair of scissors, there's a screw right in the center because that's how it scissors. It's got that. It uses that as its focal point. So um, that bolt made me think, gosh, this thing looks man-made. But then I started really studying the surface of the craft, and it was completely smooth. I mean, it was like there was not a seam or a rivet in it, and this metal was bent. So in 65, I do not believe we had the capability to bend metal like that without putting rivets, bolts, or a seam in it. But this was seamless. It was like blown glass, but it was metal. And so I thought, hmm. Then the next thought that went through my mind was, well, these guys must be really short because it's only three feet tall, so they must be very tiny people uh, if there are anybody in that thing. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. There's no doors, no windows, no no. How do they get in in and out of this thing? So these thoughts are all racing through my mind as I'm staring at this object in the sky. My jaw probably dropped too. Uh, and I said to my brother, I'm going to go in and get a camera, and I'll, I'll be right back. So I run to the garage. I go to go in the house, and we locked ourselves out. So my brother's staying out here with the craft. I'm trying to get in the house, pounding on the door as fast as I can. I notice a discontinuity in my knock. I'm thinking it somehow there was a, a time was stopped. Something happened and turned back on because it was a discontinuity. I'm knock, 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 and then knock, knock like that. Next thing I know, my older brother is opening the door to let me in, and he says, what do you want? And I said, nothing. And I, I didn't want to stop to talk to him because I knew I'd lose the thing. So I ran in the house, grabbed the camera, ran back out. Now, he was up. When we went out at 6.30, I forgot to mention this, but when I walked into the garage, our kitchen's right there, and there's a clock up on the wall, analog clock, and both hands were straight down. So it was 6.30 in the morning. That's how I know what time it was. It was exactly 6.30 in the morning when we went out the door. Um when we came back in, my brother believes we lost two hours of time. Now, I can't confirm that. I mean, I have no way to prove it. But my bro- older brother was asleep when we went out. And when I came back in two minutes later, what appeared to me to be two minutes later, he was up watching TV. And if you are any at all familiar with TV sets from the 50s and 60s, with the vacuum tube technology they had in the big vacuum tube um, screen, uh, it took a minute or two for them to warm up. You'd turn it on, you'd, get, you'd hear this noise and then all of a sudden you see a little dot on the screen and it would slowly build out until the whole screen was full and then it would come in um my brother jeff says that that he was watching a program that didn't actually come on until after eight o'clock in the morning so i have no recollection of that one way or the other all i know is that when we went out he was not up and when he came back in he was up and the interesting thing of this when you have these kind of encounters is um it it took away all of our desire to build this ufo it, it like we never talked about it again. Uh, we did talk to each other about, should we tell anyone about what we just saw? And we decided, I'm 10, he's nine. Who's going to believe us? We're just kids. You know, we're just kids. So we never said anything. And I did go to my friend Tom on a, on a Monday at school. We were in fifth grade at the time. And I was telling him the story. And I'm just going, just kind of like I just told you. I mean, I went through this whole thing with him. And uh, he's looking at me. He's looking at me. So I pause after about three or four minutes of telling him this story. And I look him in the eye, and do you know what he said? You, he didn't believe you? No. He, well, it wasn't that he didn't believe me. He didn't even hear it. He said, do you want to go play baseball? He didn't hear it? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm saying his answer to me after me telling him this whole story, oh. you would think most people would say to you, tell me more, or, or what do you think happened, or oh my gosh, that's incredible. No, his, his answer was, do you want to go play baseball? So he wasn't interested, or he didn't believe you, or he. I think it there was, was some kind it, of it, it, it mental just, block. It was, it was not in his worldview that there'd be anything outside the realm, and maybe I don't know. Maybe he thought I was making it up. I don't know. I just think it, it, what it did for me is it told me 
okay, you cannot tell people this story because no one is going to even hear it or believe it. If they do hear it, they're, they're going to believe it. So shut up. And so I just didn't talk about it for years. I mean, when did you start talking about it? Uh, I think I, I mentioned over the next many years, but but it was over 20 years later. I was working for IBM, and um, I was doing some work with a um, with a uh, business consultant. I'm trying to visualize this in my mind. And he had uh, asked me, you know, if you had all the money in the world, what would you be doing? If you didn't need to work, what would you be doing? And I said, well, I'd probably be doing UFO research. So he said, really? I said, well, yeah, really? Why is that? And I just related the whole story. I read it to you. And he said, oh, okay. So he kind of went away, came back later with a flyer several months later when I was working with him. At the end of a session, he just said, hey, you should flyer here. And the flyer was at this conference I told you that I went to, which got me started in this thing. I had no idea people went to UFO conferences. I had no idea that other people had the same experience I had. I had no idea that anyone was even interested in the subject because anyone I ever talked to kind of looked at me like I was crazy. So that kind of opened the whole world to the other people with similar experiences that oh, you could talk to. There's millions of people out there who've had uh, similar or, or, or other types of experiences that have told them. And, and many of those have become members of MUFON because they're looking for answers. They're people looking for answers. They become field investigators. They become state directors. They, they uh, are wholly committed to this. I mean, there's a whole group of people who are experiencers from the standpoint of they're actually inter- interacting with beings. And that's the... The more interesting to me, that's the more interesting part of this thing. Who are these beings that they're interacting with? And we go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to say uh, it's so much easier now with cell phones because you were saying that you had to go into the house and there was a process of getting the camera, and yeah. so now everyone has a little camera in their pocket. So um, they have you're probably inundated with footage and, yeah. and videos. Well, I'm, I'm laughing because the camera we had was a box camera. I mean, it was it was <laughs> I was, was so rudimentary. I mean, I think it was. A Kodak 2020 film, black and white, you know, and you would you would crank the crank to crank it through the till to the next stop where you could take another photograph, and you'd have a little lever you'd click down, and it would. I mean, it was it was so antiquated it would make people laugh today if they saw what we were planning to take a picture of this thing with. But you're right, today we have cell phones, and some pretty good stuff. Now the the challenge is, cell phones take great selfies and they take great close up photos of you and your friends having dinner together. They're not particularly great at taking things far away because the pixelation is so small that there's not, nothing there really for the photo analyst to work with. Um, despite that, I mean, I have a photograph here, which was taken by an iPhone camera, and you can actually see the corona around the craft. Uh, it's case number 57046, if you want to go look at it on our website, 57046. I think you put that in, and it'll pop up for you. Um, and it was a uh, iPhone photo taken by a 14-year-old kid when he was out driving around with his mother uh, in Missouri. And uh, they were going to the store, I think, or coming back from the store, saw this object, and he clicked these photographs as they were driving by. Um, it's actually got a corona around it. So there's some kind of, a, a, of an EMF field or uh, some kind of a electrical discharge going on on this craft. And it's perfectly circular, no wings, no engines, no nothing, just this big ball hanging in the sky um, using whatever means of propulsion it's using to, to stay levitated. And moving, it was moving along with them, too. So they were traveling in the car on the freeway, and it was tracking them. That's incredible. I had an experience myself. I'm from the Hudson Valley. Yeah. Um, I lived in a place called Beacon, and my fiancé and I were on our deck. It was nighttime in the summer, and there was like a – to me, it looked like a big ball of fire in the yeah. sky. Yeah. Just kind of cruising along very slowly and then move, making sort of erratic – 
movements. Yep. And I took my iPhone out and I videotaped it the best that I could and it didn't the video didn't do it justice because yeah. Yeah. It didn't. It's too far away. It was too yeah. far away. I put it online. On it, it's actually on our Facebook page, Transmitter okay. Podcast. People can look at it there if they want to make their you know own um, do their own research or make their you know comments or view it for themselves. But uh, I didn't know what it was. I still don't know what it was. I didn't know Mufon existed. Right. Uh, or there was a place, a network where I could upload this, you know, and say put some details in it and see if anyone else had a shared experience. Um, but yeah, you you have a database where that you just get right. people. I was checking it out last night. You could see people from all over the world uh, uploading videos and and photographs and information about right. sightings that they've seen. They they seem to be similar. It, sometimes their descriptions of a triangle or a V shaped yep. craft or a, a cylinder craft. Um, so people are seeing. It seems. The same objects. Do you do you see that? Is there a certain there's pattern? There's definitely a pattern to it. I mean, so so first off, the, the, what you're talking about is the feed. That's a, that's a, a live feed as things come in, and so you're seeing the raw reports coming in. Now, remember, I told you that about seventy percent of them we could explain away or, 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 or can can identify what what they're actually taking photographs of or or reporting to us. Uh, for instance, the Starlink satellite launch, which happened a few months back. Now there's been another one. Uh, launching 60 satellites in space by SpaceX. Uh, because they were silver in color, they were gleaming as they went across the sky. So you, you saw like a string of beads going across the sky. And that got reported to us probably about 100 times by people as being something un- unusual, which it is unusual, but it, it's quite can noble. Be explained. It can be explained, right? So, that, so everything's a UFO because it's unidentified. And we try to identify as much as we can uh, to whittle it down. But but yeah, you're right. The, the main things that happen are... Uh, Orbs. We have these orbs now. We get a lot of fake, fake orbs. When I say fake orbs, they're not really fake. If you stick your camera into the sun or your cell phone into the sun, you're going to get reflections inside the camera that bounce the light around and cause these little orbs in other different places on your photo. So it's going to look like there's something there, but it's really just a light reflection within the camera itself. It's not an actual orb. So it's like an optical illusion. Yes, but what you were describing is an actual orb because it's a ball of energy of some sort that moves through our sky. And we get them reports to us as color orange, red, uh, blue, uh, purple. Go ahead, white. Uh, I, mine, I would say, from what I could recall, was like a fiery color, like a yellow, reddish, uh, maybe white in that kind of color spectrum. Right. And uh, I've, I've actually seen one It was blue when I was a kid, go over my head. Um, and we get them reported to us all the time. And so we also have reports of these uh, balls of light, uh, usually a red color, coming through walls into people's bedrooms and turning into beings. I mean, that's it's rare, but but it does happen. I mean, it's been reported to us, and no reason to discount these people's uh, testimony because they're they're legitimate people who aren't trying to become famous or anything. They're just reporting what they saw. Um, now, whether any of the, those balls of light are beings or they, they appear to be under intelligent control, though, when you watch and observe them and when they get reported to us. It doesn't look like they're just random, you know, lightning balls or, or ball lightning. or People have tried to come up with all sorts of explanations. And it's not that those things don't exist, but that's not always what we're observing, you know. So we've taken all that into consideration when we're doing our investigations. So, so the balls of light, ball, called orbs, um, Points of light in the sky, moving around the sky. It's like two or three will move around and create a perfect triangle and or 
um, move away from each other. We have video on that on our website. Um, the other one are triangular-shaped craft. We see quite a few triangular-shaped craft reported to us. Now, again, you could go to, well, maybe that's a uh, military object or craft of some sort. Some of these things are 300 feet on a side. I mean, a triangle is 300 feet on each side. That's the size of a football field. You're talking about a football field length of one side of the craft. That's huge. Um, not likely to be ours, I don't think. So, And then just funky craft, all sorts of strange objects seen in the sky. So I, was, I call those like daylight disks, if you will. They're just objects in the sky that shouldn't be there. Um, and then, of course, I mean... Going back to Heineck's days, he would say daylight disks and nocturnal lights. So you have lights at night that would show in the sky, and you have these daylight disks that would show in the sky. Um, so today we're seeing the orbs, which you might call nocturnal lights again, um, or points of light in the sky moving around in, in erratic fashion, as well as structured craft. Uh, and, of course, the ones that are of most interest to us are ones within 500 feet, where the observer got a good close view, and, of course, if they got a photograph, that's even better. So... There's a famous case uh, where I'm from there on the Taconic State Parkway. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. I believe it was the late 80s, but I could be wrong. A craft that was so large, um, allegedly hundreds of people pulled over to the side of the highway and got out of their cars and just were staring up at the sky because it was so big. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of, in the Hudson Valley particularly, I live here in L.A. now, but spot, yeah. Um, yeah, there's pine, they have a pine bush UFO fair and uh, several other um, areas where there's a lot of sightings. Um, what do you make of like people like Bob Lazar or people like that that say that you know Area 51 or, or Roswell they have these craft and they're testing it? Like Bob Lazar would say. Uh, when he left, he would we went out with his friends, and they witnessed these crafts being test driven in the sky. Do you think we have this technology, and we are rever- or trying to reverse engineer it? The only firsthand knowledge I have is that I have been out to Area Fifty One. It was back in the nineties. You were inside the facility, or no? I was on the outside. I was on. I was. Yeah. I, was I was on the other side of the fence where it says "deadly force will be used if you cross <laughs> okay. this line." Right, but but I did uh, late at night, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning, did see what we call jumpers, which were craft that would be here, and all of a sudden they jump over to there, and then they jump over to there. So I have seen these craft. Uh, my personal gut feeling, uh, based on even based on conversations I've had with Ben Rich, who was the past CEO of the Lockheed Skunk Works, and that's a whole other story, how I had that happen. But um, I believe that within our black projects, we have the capability to do what many of these craft are doing. I do believe that that's true. And they're being test-driven? Like they're being test-flown? So maybe some of these craft that people see are operated by humans and not extraterrestrial? Well, Ryan Wood uh, wrote a book on, um, I don't have the name of it right in front of me, but it was all about crash retrievals, uh, UFO crash retrievals. And he, he documented some 80 or so cases of where these craft have crashed and uh, been recovered by our government or other governments. And so you got to believe that if we've recovered some of these things, we've taken them somewhere to, to, to back engineer them and figure out how they work. Um, what better place to take it than to Area 51, where it's, it's out in the middle of nowhere, no one can see anything. Uh, of course, Bob Lazar said he wasn't at Area 51. He was on the same test range called the Papoose Test Range, but he was at a place called S4, which I believe is to the south and uh, east of of Area 51. Um, so S4. So, I, so when people say, "Oh, there's no no aliens or UFOs at Area 51," they're probably saying the truth because maybe they were kept someplace else on the same range, but it's in a different area. 
Um, I think Bob is highly likely to be uh, 100% true. Uh, I mean, you have to ask yourself, why would someone come up with some wild story? It doesn't do anything to to improve your life. You don't make any money out of it. I mean, it's so, not like he's doing speaking tours and right. making a boatload so, of money. So, you know, in fact, he's even said, you know, he wishes he'd never come out with the information. He just thought that people should know what we were doing with their taxpayer dollars. So um, I believe him. I, I have no reason not to believe him. I've met Bob. I've talked to him. Um, I've heard many other researchers who've, who've met him, including George Knapp, who was the reporter who broke the story back 30 years ago. And uh, they all swear by the guy. And uh, he seems like a straight-up, honest human being. So I, I, always, I always ask myself, why should anyone believe my story? Right. You know, Other than the fact I had another witness to it. But I mean, would, would have been, of course, it would be better if Bob had some one of his buddies who was there working with him on the project come, come forward too. But um, you can't always have that. So we have to listen to it and take it with a grain of salt. I guess the good news is, if we do have the technology, is that it makes me feel better uh, about our ability to defend ourselves and to maybe do some things. The question is, why is it you and I, as taxpayers, can't know about this technology? And, of course, the answer would be national defense. You know, <laughs> That's what we always hide behind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of what Lazar had said had been proven true uh with like hand scanning machines and different yes. technology right he uh, talked about his hand scanner that he had to use to get inside the the uh base there and people thought he was poo-pooey because there was no, nothing that ever existed and then years later someone came up with a photograph of one of the machines that was being used in one of the intelligence community uh, the exact same machine he had described you know 20 years before so um how did he know that um, you know did he just make it up and get got lucky i don't think so i think he actually was there why do you think it is allegedly the government's mindset that this information can't be public? Do you think that the, the, the it's a simple answer? It's called space time, and um, our universe is made up of space, time, energy, and matter. It's called STEM. We figured out sixty, seventy years ago how to manipulate energy and matter. It's called the atomic bomb. We made a bomb out of it. You know, we could have done other things with it, but we made a bomb out of it. Similarly, you can manipulate uh, using Einstein's general theory of relativity, the equations. You can you can manipulate space and time. So, we think of time as linear. It's not. That's like in the case where I was having my sighting, where the time appeared to stop. Yeah, uh, I wanted to follow up with you about yeah, that. Yeah, well. I mean, uh, how do you do this? I have no idea. I'm not a physicist. I'm not a scientist. Uh, but it's definitely doable. And I've talked to scientists. One, James Woodward, um, who is over here at Cal State Fullerton. He's a he's a uh, experimental physicist, and he's trying to work on Mach effect, which is a byproduct of Einstein's general theory of relativity, to figure out how to get propellantless propulsion on spacecraft so that we can go to the stars. So he's been championing this whole group of scientists, uh, getting them to work together uh, in the white world to try to figure out how to do interstellar travel, which, to me, once we figure that out, and we're out traveling amongst the stars, and we're sitting above a planet in another galaxy far, far away, and we're looking down at the indigenous life on that planet, and we go down and interact with them however we do that or choose to do that, uh, we now become the aliens. And I think that's something people need to think about because we're not too far away from that happening, probably 20 to 30 years from us being the aliens. So why is it so hard to believe that other people out in this vast universe or universes, because there are many physicists who say there's infinite, you know, number of universes. Um, why is it we can't believe that they're here visiting us? 
So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying the reason why they don't want it to get out is that whoever obtains this technology was basically... We, they, don't want the, they don't want our adversaries to know how it works. Right. First off, they don't want them even looking at it, you know, so they pretend it doesn't exist, like UFOs are, are just crazy people. Because whoever has this basically has ultimate Well, if you can manipulate power. space and time, my gosh, you could, you know, you could put yeah, an atomic bomb on the steps of the White House and blow it up before anyone knew it was there. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's powerful technology. It's extremely powerful technology. And um, perhaps uh, we're not ready for it. You know, I mean, you look at uh, our <laughs> advancement as a species technologically has far outstripped our advancement as a species as, from a spiritual growth standpoint. I mean, we we're way out of balance as as a as a civilization, and we need to somehow bring it back into balance. Uh, but for me, I, I still say, but you can't tell people it doesn't exist. And I think at a minimum, and I will give praise TTSA on this, you know, there are people stepping out of our government and saying, no, this is real. You guys at MUFON were right. You guys uh, in the UFO field were right. These things are real. Now, they're not going to go much more than that uh, because, frankly, how they work and everything else is highly classified. But they know how it works, and, they, and they, they've been working on it for years. Uh, and um, I would suspect that our space program is very far advanced if you went behind the screen and saw it, as opposed to what we see publicly uh, through NASA. Uh, that would be my... So NASA is just kind of a, a show, and behind the veil is more complex program? Yeah, I won't say NASA is a show, but, it, but, but let's put it this way. They, don't, they get the breadcrumbs. Uh, I mean, the black budget's $100, $100 billion. I mean, every year, $100 billion goes into black projects. Um, not, not all of them are UFO related. But and those are just classified projects when you uh, say yeah. black? Well, black, black means that the, you and I can't. I mean, they're, they're, no one knows they exist. They they would deny they exist. Um, you know, we can't know it. So that's why the difference between a black world and the white world. The black world is everything secret. It's compartmentalized. It's it's controlled uh, so that secrets don't get out. Uh, the white world is, you know, a bunch of guys sitting around trying to, in their workshops, trying to figure out how to get things done. And, and, and unfortunately, they have no funding. So how you, they don't get anything done. That's the, that's the challenge. Um but yeah, going back to your question, um, I, I think that we've had this technology for quite some time. Um, a lot of what we might be seeing could be our own technology, but those on the inside that I've talked to claim that they have had access to some of this black budget project stuff and that they have seen nothing like that. They've never seen a triangle in the black budget. All that could mean is that if it's been funded and it's been built by us, somebody figured out a way to circumvent the, the, the funding process that's in place. Uh, that would be a violation of U.S. laws to do that. But it doesn't mean pe- people have broken the law before because they believe the ends justify the means. And uh, again, I just hope it's ours, you know, and I hope it's stuff that we're working on. But it's been built upon technology that has been brought here by other people that are not from this planet. Would that explain some of the techno- technological advancements since the 50s, in your opinion? Well, it's funny you should say that, because my brother and I used to laugh that um, we grew up in the vacuum tube era, and then very shortly after that, it became the the uh, integrated circuit era, where there was like capacitors and things on a circuit board, you know, and it was very tightly packed, but it was not a bunch of vacuum tubes. And then it quickly transitioned into solid-state stuff, and then it quickly transitioned into... Um, wafers, uh, computer wafers. Straight. So literally in a matter of 20, 30 years, we went from vacuum tubes to integrated circuitry. And you have to ask yourself, how did we advance that rapidly in such a short period of time? One way would be someone showed us this technology or we 
retrieved some of this technology and looked at it. Uh, fiber optics. Who would have thought that you could pass information through by using light through fiber tubes? I mean, where'd that come? We had wires. You know, we were wiring everything. Everything was a wire. Uh, I, these are just incredible advances. You have to scratch your head and say, "How did that happen?" Now, there are people out there who would say, "Oh no, that was my father, and he worked at Bell Labs, and they came up with this thing." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, but where did he get the idea?" Because the way it works is when this stuff is found, they take it to these corporations like IBM, like AT and T, like others, and they give it to them, and they say, "This is foreign technology." They don't say it's from aliens. Mm-hmm. They say it's foreign technology. So the scientists think, oh, they got this from the Russians, or they got this from the Chinese, or they got this from the Koreans, or whoever. And my job is to figure out how it works. And so they don't worry themselves with where it came from. They just say, oh, this is pretty cool technology. Let me figure out how it works. And that's their job, to figure out how it works. And then tell the Defense Department, you know, the intelligence community, how it works, and then help apply it to our own devices and our own weapon systems and our own, hopefully— I, my my belief is that I'd like to see this technology put to use for the betterment of everybody on this planet, not just the intelligence community and the military. And I think that's starting to happen. Do you think that other countries have similar technology? That's always a possible popular like I've, History Channel thing, like the Nazis chasing uh, UFOs or going to Antarctica and searching I for. I can't speak for the Nazis, but I, but I do believe they were on the edge of figuring this stuff out because of the bell, the bell and some other technology they had. But I would say. Today, I've got to believe that the Russians and the Chinese and probably Iran and other countries are looking at this very closely because they realize, whether they say anything publicly, which they're not, that this is such advanced stuff that the person who figures it out is going to be the leader in the next century. And I think the good news is I think we've figured it out. <laughs> so hopefully we'll stay in, stay in lead here. When crafts visit here, they seem to be at least ostensibly peaceful. Yes. Um, they're not, they don't seem to be, at least to our knowledge, my knowledge or the reports that I've seen, attacking people or so. Oh, I think, I think, I think, you know, Machio Kaku has this book called Hyperspace, the 10 dimensional universe. And he talks about uh, three levels of, of civilizations, uh, type one, type two, and type three. And, uh, you might ask, well, where, is, where, where are we on the scale? Well, we're not even a type one. We're type zero. Type zero is basically caveman to nuclear age. And then if you don't blow yourself up, literally blow yourself up as a civilization, which there are some people out there. Um, Brandenburg is one of them, a physicist who believes that there was a huge nuclear explosion on Mars 300 million years ago that wiped out whatever civilization was there. So if you don't blow yourself up, you graduate to interstellar travel to the next phase where you control your weather, you control your planet, you control uh, interstellar travel. And, and so basically, we are at that cusp of nuclear age. Are we going to make it into the interstellar phase? And Which is a peaceful phase? That's a peaceful. Yeah. Generally, if you, you've, yeah, generally, if you get there, you've somehow removed your um, divisiveness as a civilization from the civilization. I think we've got, I think we still have a long way to go, honestly, if you look at this planet. Uh, but I but I do see a tapering off of some of the hostilities and a working together between the major or, between Russia and the United States and China. I see I see us working more today than I mean when I grew up we we didn't even talk, we, we didn't even know what China was. We it was a, it was a black box until Richard Nixon 
a normalized relationship with them in, I think, 1974 or some of that time frame, 72, 74. Uh, people didn't even know what China was. I mean, uh, now we've awoken the, quote, sleeping giant, and they're literally taking over the world with product. Uh, they build everything for us. They're, they're, their economy's booming. Uh, people are moving here, buying up real estate in the United States. Uh, and, you know, good for them. I mean, they, they've, they're hardworking people. They've, they've, uh, they're not taking it for granted. They're, they're making it happen. So kudos to them. But also remember the Japanese back in the 70s where they were on top of the world, and then all of a sudden their economy collapsed. So economies go through these cycles, uh, including the U.S. economy, and, and the Chinese economy will go through the same thing at some point in time. Um, but Michio Kaku wrote this book, Hyperspace. He talked about the three type three civilizations, type one, type two, type three. We're at a type zero. We're moving into a type one, and we're going through this transition. So it's probably going to be a bumpy transition, but I think we will get there. So if we don't blow ourselves up, we'll get to this next phase, which will, it seems to be more... Uh, peaceful. Yeah, peaceful and, and serene yeah. level. One can only hope. Way of living and Because the other, the other alternative is not such a good one, which is we destroy ourselves as a planet. And that's a possibility, too. I think that's still a possibility. There's always, uh, people will ask, like, why would extraterrestrials man a craft if like we have drones today yep. do you think a lot of them are like remote control or is it that they can travel so fast like you say through space and time that it's like no it's like maybe you know going to 7-eleven or something yeah. for a, a drink well, and here's another theory i mean you know um lou likes to say to people when they ask he asks when he's asked the question you know who are these people flying these things he he's, does a very adept job at sidestepping the question but uh, his his answers sometimes has been uh, they're either from outer space, inner space, or some space in between. And when you think about it, if you're manipulating space and time, you're you could be from anywhere in space and time. Uh, so there might be other places in space and time that we don't physically see. And there's when we look out into the universe, this is a different space and time that we're in right here. There might be a different. Uh, there's multiple universes. There might be multiple spaces and times. Um, they could be from almost anywhere. Uh, they could even be here right now in this room, but because they're slightly out of phase with us, we don't see them, we don't experience them, but then they pop into our reality and they pop out of our reality. So um, this is one of the things that makes it such an exciting study. And, you know, the truth is it could be all of these things simultaneously. It could be time travelers. It could be um, interdimensional beings. It could be uh, indigenous beings that were on this planet millions of years before us who were underneath the, live underneath the oceans or inside our, our Earth. Uh, it could be extraterrestrials. It, I mean... All these things could be happening simultaneously. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. The only one that's mutually exclusive is the theory that we live in a simulated environment. In other words, we're, we're nothing but a virtual reality. A hologram. A hologram, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, this is, this is Elon Musk's belief is that we live in a virtual reality. So uh, that would be very disappointing to think you're part of someone's larger video game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know all the details, but allegedly there, well, supposedly there's some scientific equations that that would be an answer to. A uh, hologram universe would be an answer to those equations. And he, I, I believe, and I don't want to misquote, but I'm just kind of going through my, my uh, memories, but I, I'm pretty sure he was also convinced that if we hadn't met extraterrestrials yet, like, that was another claim that he said that would prove that we were in a hologram because um, it, it just the probability of how many planets there are, it would it would seem highly, highly probable that we would have by now. Well, if, 
well, according to our data, we are meeting them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's not like they're coming down and talking to to President Trump or to. But who knows? Maybe they are. I mean, we we've got stories going back when uh, President Eisenhower supposedly met with some extraterrestrials. Uh, actually, beings from another world was the way it was described to us out at Edwards Air Force Base back when it was uh, Muroc uh, Air Force Base. So, you know. It, that's just a hard thing for people to fathom within their worldview if they believe, because a lot of people out there still believe if they have come here and they've met with our government or whatever, whoever, we would know it because we would be told. Right. And the answer is nah, probably not. There's a lot of stuff you're not told, you know. <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, because they, they, mainly because they don't want to. Here, here's an example 9 11 happened, and we happened to have Joe Monocle as a speaker at our symposium that year in, uh, I believe it was in. Irvine here in Irvine, California. Uh, I think it was 2001. Did it happen in 2001? And I, I asked Joe, uh, actually it would have been 2002. It was the following year because supposedly it already happened in 2001 when 9-11 happened. I asked him, I said, how does something like that happen? <clears throat> Joe, because you you were in the CIA and you were, you were in the Army and the CIA and then you did remote viewing as part of the um, remote viewing project for the CIA. I said, how could they possibly let something like that happen? And his answer was, well, it's pretty simple. He said, you've got too many different people going too many different ways, and they, and they can't cross, they, there's no cross-pollination of the data. That's one reason why Homeland Security was created, was to bring all these different pieces together so you had a cohesive view. Now, whether it's going to work or not, I don't know, but obviously we haven't had any other 9-11 since that happened, uh, so I guess it's working just fine. But um, he said, look, Jan, he said, here's the deal. <clears throat> there are a 100 of these incidents that you never hear about. This is one. He said, if we told the public every time there was a threat, they would never come out of their door. They would never get on an airplane. They would just stop. They'd be fearful for their lives. He says, so we don't tell them. I thought, hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, who'd want to get on an airplane if you knew there was some guy out there trying to figure out how to blow up airliners? And I mean, you'd, you'd say, I think I'll pass on flying an airliner this week. Um, so I mean that was a good explanation to me. I still have a, I still scratch my head very hard about the whole nine eleven thing because it just seems implausible to me how buildings could collapse. But that's a whole other that's podcast. another can of worms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you think they still do, or do you have evidence that they still do remote viewing testing? Just oh, yeah. to talk about oh remote yeah. viewing happens all the time. Yeah. You can be trained on remote viewing. You can go to the Monroe Institute, learn how to go out of body. That's one of the things they teach out there that Joe runs is the Monroe Institute. Uh, there's a book called Far Journey written by. Dr. Robert Monroe, who who started the institute, and he trains all the CIA people. He trains all the uh, military people. They get trained back there. Civilians can go there now. It's it's open to the public. Um, it's not not cheap. It's several thousand dollars to go spend a week back there and get trained. But no, you have the ability. We, our our minds are very uh, incredible machines, uh, and and if you get the right training, you can actually remote view forward and backward in time and do certain things. Um, can also be scary too because you might see things you don't want to see. So, because at one point it was thought that these people had special gifts, but you're saying that everybody has this gift. Everybody has this it, gift. You just have to some, learn how to use it. Some people uh, need more training than others, and there's some who are naturals at it. And it's those intuitives that are naturals at it that they try to pick out in the military and take into these special programs. Because uh, I would say my brother is one of those people. I mean, how would he know how to do everything he does if he didn't have some special capability to see stuff? Or do stuff, and he's he has become precognitive. Uh, that was one of the things that happened based on the, our sighting. He, he became precognitive, remote viewed our or saw our father's death and my bro- older brother's death before they happened, so he knew they were going to happen. Um, which got to be a frightening thing. I mean, to know to see someone's death that's so close to you, but not be able to tell them about it, 
because you don't want to scare them and you don't want to get them freaked out. Um, it can be a frightful experience, honestly. So he learned that he had this capability and, and now he's able to yeah. He can pr- pr- use receive it. things, yeah. yeah. Wow, that, that's got to be pretty intense at, yeah. at times. You want me to tell you the one of the things he pre-saw? Sure. Uh, this is not a good thing, so I don't want to scare everybody, but uh, he pre-saw that the U.S. and China would get into a nuclear exchange uh, based on a missile fired off from a, a, another country that's mistaken to be a, launched from the United States. And so there's this huge exchange that wipes out three-quarters of the northern hemisphere of the, of the Earth and, and all the people on it. Um, this could happen in the next fi- within the next five years. Um, I asked Joe McMonagle this question. Joe, my brother had this this download, if you will. He was shown this image of this by whoever these beings are. Uh, what do you think? And his answer to me was, well, that's one possible scenario. And I thought, well, that wasn't a good answer. <laughs> Nobody wants that scenario. Yeah. So what are we doing to make sure this doesn't happen? So I think there's probably people, whether it has to do with timelines or however it works, I mean, I'm not smart enough to know, but, uh, you know, it's like, go back to what Batio Kaku said. You know, you get to this stage, and if you don't, if you don't kill yourself, blow your, blow your planet up, you move to the next stage. We are literally at that stage. So we've got to all be thinking positively. We've got to be pushing forward. We've got to be bringing this stuff out. And I think the work that uh, TTSA is doing and others uh, around the world to Jim Woodward and other folks to bring this to fruition and get us to the interstellar phase and get our civilization off this planet, that's one reason why Elon Musk wants to go to Mars so bad. He wants to make sure that mankind survives. And the one way you do that is you start settlements on other places. So if someone does destroy the Earth, you know, you've got human life is already been planted at other places. Right. I have to ask you, uh, there's a few other things I wanted to talk to you about, but I have just uh, kind of going off that. If that were to transpire, is there a way that knowing it, we could prevent it from happening? A nuclear war? (laughs) I would hope so. Yeah. I, I imagine if my brother is being shown this, other people are being shown this, and they're probably working on it right now trying to figure out how you stop it from happening. And you know, as you crawl back through the chain of events that caused it to happen and make sure those chain of events don't happen. So if you if you change something slightly, you could take the the future in a, in a completely different direction? I think there's multiple futures. I think I think that's the key is that, you know, we're – and there might be multiple universes, and in every different universe it happens differently. Um so I, I don't know know it well enough to know how it all works, but I know there are people who are very focused on this that are working on it. Working on it, yeah. I I would really like to talk to you about beings that are potentially here, implants and time travel. Okay. In the time that we have left, if that's all right. Sure. Um, are there, to your knowledge, how many race? Or do, you, do first? Let's start with: Are there beings here in your estimation that live here that are among us that are either we can't see that live below the Earth? There's been all sorts of talk about reptilians and and um, Anunnaki yeah. and I, I I can't say from firsthand knowledge, but I can say based on what I have heard, learned, and been told by other folks. I definitely believe that there are extraterrestrials living on this planet. Now, why they're here, I have no idea. Maybe their planet got destroyed. Maybe they, they got stranded here on a craft. Um, some of them look just like us, so you wouldn't be able to tell them from a hole in the ground. So they're here. They're living amongst us. It wouldn't be any different than if we moved to China or did something. We, we're, we're living in a foreign place. but Because they could shapeshift or because they could change their appearance? Some of them have the capability or? to shapeshift. That's, again, that's, I have no firsthand knowledge of this, so right. I'm, I'm going to tell you that. But, I, but I, we do get these stories. and. Uh, as far as the number of races, I've heard anything anywhere from you know a dozen up to 189. So, 
Um, look, it's an infinite universe out there, and if you have planets all over the place, which we know every single star out there has planets around it, um, you could have thousands of millions of different civilizations out there, truthfully. Now, how many of them actually came, came to Earth or have come to Earth is a whole other question. But the, the two or three that we seem to get the most reports on Obviously, the little gray guys, they would get a lot of those reports. Uh, and that was the, the body that was supposedly recovered from Roswell in the craft was, right. a, was a gray? Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. So they're, they're short beings with a big, um, I would call it like almost a heart shaped head, you know, if you will, or, uh, small chin, big cranium, uh, large almond eyes. Um, that seems to be the number one thing out there. Now, well, a lot of those appear to be, um, at least to me anyway, appear to be more like uh, robotic, if you will. In other words, they're almost like they're, 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 they're uh, manufactured biological type entities. You know, they're not, they're not necessarily a human type. Uh, we have the, the, the human types, which often described as being from the Pleiadians or Pleiadians. And uh, they look very Aryan. They look very much uh, a beautiful looking race. Um, and they seem to come here. I've had many reports from people claiming to have interacted with that, that race. And then the, the other one is the reptilians, and that's um, they're not as nice. <laughs> they tend to uh, have a lot of negative energy associated with them. But So those are kind of the big three, but I would say the, the, uh, the first one has the most. I mean, I, I think we see more of the, uh, what would we call the grays or tall grays. There's different versions of them. Uh, than anything else, followed by probably the Pleiadians or the Aryan-type-looking people who look very much like us. You wouldn't be able to, other than they look very strikingly handsome or beautiful, um, you would be able to tell them from us. And then, of course, the reptilians, which, because they have more scaly-type skin, they would look definitely look different than us. Um, are, are a lot of these accounts, well, first off, are there photographs? Do people have photographs of this? Yeah, you know, the photographs that I've seen so far look, pretty sketchy to me um so the answer is no but we have lots of reports of people reporting these incidences the other ones are light beings i mean we're having a lot of these come up where people are now reporting beings of light showing up in their bedroom at nighttime and talking to them now whether those are actually of extraterrestrial origin or interdimensional guys or spiritual people i mean it's hard to tell we're trying to sort through all that data right now with our experience or research team yeah, I know it's a lot to go through, and and what I what I like about uh, the group is that you're very you seem to be not critical of the people, but critical of the data and what you're taking in, and right. and it's making sure that it's that it's that Same. it's real. Right. Yeah, um, when people are sleeping that or in in bed or near sleep states, right. is it possible that they're dreaming or hallucinating in some instances? Well, this is one of the things that's a challenge because many of them they do report being almost in a dream state, and so. You know, there's. I saw this quote the other day. Where do you go when you dream? You know, someone was asking that question. Work. Where do you go when you dream? Because if you ever had a really lucid dream where you woke up and said, "Oh, I was really there." I, I, I've had those dreams where I feel like yeah, it I feels was real. There. Yeah. It was real. You know, uh, was it because I just dreamt that, or was it because I really was there, but I was in a different altered state? Um, someone just was telling me yesterday that they had been taken, um, and when they were being taken by this entity, uh, it was a gray, on board a ship, that they looked back and saw their body laying in bed. So they actually weren't physically, they were out of body when they were being taken uh, to the ship. Um, so, and again, you go back to the Monroe Institute, that's where they teach people how, they teach them how to go out of body 
and basically become a light in their light body. And then the more important thing to learn is how to get back into your body, because if you don't get back into your body, your body dies, and then you're clinically dead here on this planet. But you're, our, I think that's one thing people, our consciousness survives death. I mean, we definitely know that to be true based on all of the data that's out there. Um, so if someone were to pull out a gun and shoot you right now and you fell dead, you would still be standing there looking down at your body like, oh, what happened? Where's my body? Why is my body down there? Your consciousness would be able to survive. So where does that go? How does it then, what happens beyond that? Uh, which is a, a big question. But So I, I have to ask, is, is there incident or incidents yeah. of uh, someone who died during remote viewing who was not able to return to their body? That you know of? Not that I know of, but I mean, I, I know that, that when I read the book Far Journey, written by Robert Monroe, and he talked about that, how important it was to, because as you travel out into the universe, I mean, you could you, you could be light years away. You could be in a whole other um, universe. I mean, you, you, you so you have to figure out how to get back to your body in at this place in space and time, right, right here, to this physical body. So he was talking about the training actually teaches people how to do that from... I've never done the training, so I'm just saying reading his book, which anyone can get. It's in the library, or you can order off Amazon, Far Journey by Robert Monroe. Um, he talks about this whole thing about going out of body and, and, and the different realms that you go to and the different uh, civilizations you see and the, and the different things. So I thought it was a fascinating book. I mean, it probably, it's, it's a mind-blower for people. If, you, if you're stuck in a three-dimensional paradigm and you think all there is is what you see and feel and touch and you're you're probably not going to like the book. It's going to shatter your reality. Have do you get a lot of abduction cases that people we are do. taking? Yeah, we do. Um, and are they similar in nature? Primarily, well, they they tend to run the gamut. Honestly, I mean, we have people taken on board ships uh, and and things done to them. We have other people who um, who who've been abducted and had medical procedures done. But we have other people who just have these interactions and they're downloaded information or they're shown things. Um, so it's not any one thing. I mean, when, when uh, Bud Hopkins was alive, he, he wrote a book um, talking about all these cases he had and they all followed the same pattern where they're taken out of their bed at night, floated through the ceiling, up onto the ship, put on an examining table, procedures were done. They were told they weren't going to remember it and they were put back in their beds. Um, it's not quite that clean, cut and dried uh, because so many people are having so many different experiences. And again, it's like, you know, it's, there's not just like one type of alien, right? There's all these different races and things going on. Uh, it could be spiritual beings. Uh, it could be a lot of stuff that, frankly, we're just taking the reports in and we're trying to make sense out of it yeah. and investigate it and mostly help these people because the people who go through these experiences many of them are suffering from post-traumatic stress because just think about it. I mean, if you're taken out of your bed by a non-human being and, and things are done to you and then you somehow recall it, even if you don't recall it consciously, your body remembers it from a body memory standpoint. Um, it it kind of messes you up. I mean, my brother went through drug and alcohol issues his whole life because of what happened to him and I when we were little kids. I didn't go through that because I think I was taken away from the situation and, and, and somehow the Maybe the thought was planted in my head to go get a camera. I don't know. I thought it was my idea, but maybe not. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't have the same experience he did. He stayed outside with the object itself until he saw it go away. So, so that was traumatic for him. For him, to experience. it turned out to be yeah. a very traumatic experience. Yeah. 
what do you think that these people are or these uh, beings are after? Are they looking for because if we're so primitive to them, why are they so interested in our like anatomy or you know uh, what are they what are they after in your opinion? Again, I don't have the answer, but I have I can speculate. Uh, my speculation would be one: we may be unique in that we have a soul, and perhaps they don't. Um, in other words, we have the ability to survive death and live on. If you think about it, if, if life is eternal, as some of the biblical teachings say, um, and we only live 80 years, let's just say as a general round number, um, that's a blink of an eye. In eternity, 80 years is a blink of an eye. So what is, what is it we're doing before and after that, you know, or, or just say after that, you know, for the next million, trillion years? Um, so it could be something to do with our soul. Uh, it could be um, that they just, like we, observe the caribou in the outback or the uh, antelope um, tagging us and watching us, our migratory patterns, our mating patterns. Our, so it, we might do the same thing. If we're up above some planet t- traveling interstellar again or even within our own universe, you know, just a few light years away, we have another star system with planets around it. Um, we might want to study the life that's on that planet. I mean, even on our own planet, we have people who study the life on this planet, whether it's human or otherwise. So I don't see why this is such a strange thing that it's something that we would do ourselves. So why wouldn't someone else do it? And there have been reports of people coming back with implants, and you had also mentioned time difference. Uh, so that's kind of clumping these two things together. But so some people come back and they have they've there has been at least one account, right, of somebody who removed this little. Uh, oh yeah, there's been a lot. Of them. There's yeah. been a few. Okay. Yeah, we've tried to do that. It, it's very difficult because if you are successful enough getting an object out of the person's body. And of course, a, a medical doctor has to do that. You just you just don't go into someone's body and take an object out of it. Uh, excuse me, one second. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, once you test it, uh, the materials tend out to be just general stuff that's available. So it's you know whether elements are the same throughout the entire universe. So if they were built here or built somewhere else, or maybe they were built here and put in the people here. Um, We've not found anything that's so extraordinary that we could declare this didn't come from planet Earth. I know there are people working on that. I know the folks at TTSA are working on that. Um, I wish them a lot of luck. I hope it turns out to be that way. But uh, we have yet to find an object, whether it's from a quote-unquote crashed saucer and or a implant, that when tested turned out to be so extraordinary we could declare emphatically that it's not from planet Earth. And so your problem becomes, okay, I've got this device it came out of this person. They claim it was implanted by an alien, and and uh, okay, and it and it has these properties. You know, it's got so much aluminum in it, so much steel, whatever, uh, copper, whatever the elements are, breakdown, composition. Um, people look at it and say, oh, okay, d- d- nothing, nothing stands out here. Nothing extraordinary stands out here. Um, I would love it if it did, but we have we have not found it yet, and we're, we're continuing to look for it. So far, that's not been the case where there's anything substantial. I have two crash saucers here in my. Uh, I, I say that with kind of in fun, but but uh, you know pieces of craft that people and we've t- tested them, and it's you know it's a, it's like an aluminum alloy, you know, and so you say, okay, well, did aluminum alloys exist back in the '40s? You know, been some research done on that. I mean, but but it's not like so extraordinary that someone says, oh my gosh, this material could not have been manufactured on Earth, you know. Uh, and that's you want the, you want the smoking gun. You want the emphatic 
Yes. And even if you did, you still have scientists who would disagree with you. They'd say, oh, this was probably built in some military installation that you just didn't know about, and they did some kind of special thing to it. And, and so that's why, you don't, that's why you've never seen this before. Was the element that Lazar talked about that ended up element being... 115. 115, right, which right. ended up being... Uh, proven that that it actually exists but yeah, does well, that exist on earth or that uh well it exists in a uh a uh atom collider you know a, a cern collider maybe um because elements at that range above the, the hundred mark you know they many of them have half lives of like a nanosecond i mean they're just they're they they pop into existence they pop out of existence what bob was talking about was a uh, isotope of element 115 that was stable. In other words, it would stay in existence. Um, we've yet to find that. Um, we, we have found element 115. That's been now put on the periodic chart. Uh, but as far as a stable version of it that exists and stays where you could pick it up and do something with it, um, my understanding is that doesn't exist. Well, at least not in the white world. You know, Maybe it does in the black world. But um, that's that. That's one of the big questions behind what he said. But when he brought out the whole thing on 115, there wasn't even an element 115 at the time. So at least now there's an element 115. It doesn't exactly map to the properties he spoke to, but he explained it as being the version they had was a stable isotope. Interesting. Yeah. When people come back from, uh, to go back to the abductions, uh, and they're given information, like, is it something Van Tassel in the desert who allegedly people visited him from Venus and he mm-hmm. built the uh, Integratron, mm-hmm. which is a site now in the acoustics? There's supposedly no metal built in it, it's all made out of wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- have there been incidents where people remember what they come back with and they come back with something significant and. You know, they're able it's funny to you should say that because that's what Machio Kaku said. He said, you know, if these guys are really on these craft, why don't they pick up a hammer and bring it back with them? And I think, well, I've never heard of a hammer being on a craft. The craft are generally uh, very smooth walls or anything, and everything is like integrated into it. There's not like things laying around you can pick up and walk off with. But, but even if they did, you know, again, this goes back to my thought on the on the pieces and parts we've tested. Um, what if all elements in the universe are the same? I mean, just because you pick it up and bring it back, people say, oh, that's a piece of wood or that's a piece of metal. or it's, It doesn't necessarily mean it was of extraterrestrial origin. I mean, it's hard to prove that it's of extraterrestrial origin. I guess the thing that really gets people to change their mind is when they've been taken on board a ship themselves and they see it firsthand. You know, I mean, that's, that's the big dividing point, really, between, I won't say believers, but knowers. You know, um, a knower is someone who's had an experience real, uh, consciously, that just knows that it that, that it happened to him. I had a call from a lady a few years back, and she was just beside herself that she had seen this large triangular craft go over her car at 100 feet, and uh, it was huge, you know. And she's telling me this on the phone, and she's just all excited. And she's just and and uh, she's I never I never thought this stuff was real, you know. I couldn't believe it until I saw it. And I'm like, my gosh, you know. And I'm listening to her saying, yes, 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 yes. And she says, you don't seem very, very concerned about this or excited about it. I said, ma'am, I hear this every day. <laughs> we get 500 to 1,000 reports a month. I mean, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you that you had this experience. I'm glad you did. Uh, but, you know, it's nothing extraordinary as far as we're concerned because this is what we do for a business. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? But for her, it was extraordinary because it had never happened to her before. And she had thought this whole UFO thing was a bunch of poppycock until this happened to her. Uh, there's nothing that makes uh, I call them knowers, not believers, because you're a knower uh, than having that experience. So 
I wish uh, Machio and some of these other folks would have their experiences and they, they could uh, come across and start helping us on our side. Are there some people that are, I mean, you take them all, you take the information in and you look at it, but some people are more believable than others? I know you try not to discriminate against reports. Uh, well, yes. I mean, reports. so we, yeah, there's, you know, we do look at the credibility of the witnesses and what who they are and where they're from and what they're doing. You know, the, the one that causes me concern is when the person calls us up and says, you know, I had this incredible thing happen to me. Let me tell you all about it. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm available to go on your TV show and talk about it. I'm like, okay, well, that right there's uh, a heads up that, that maybe they're just trying to get a plug. Day for, of fame yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean doesn't mean it's not real, but but still, it, it raises a little red flag in my mind. Um, I prefer to hear, you know, I, I haven't told anyone this. I can't tell anyone this. I prefer I want to stay anonymous. But here's what happened to me. And oh, by the way, I'm an airline pilot, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, a law enforcement. It's I more mean, credible. Yeah, I mean, you you know, source. They're, they're they're concerned about their about their uh, career, about their life, and they're only reporting it because they believe people should know that it happened. Um, those are the witnesses that really stand out in my mind. And when people come back, sometimes their time is passed, or the time is 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 reversed, or. They there's some gap in time of when they are have an experience of uh, yeah being taken and, and returned. Generally, it's 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 just I mean in general, it's like a two hour gap in time approximately plus or minus. You know, people will say uh, I was driving down the road, and next thing I know, I was 50 miles ahead, and it was an hour later. You know, so like boom, I saw this light in the sky. You know, this thing came down. The next thing I knew, I was 50 miles down the road you know, towards my destination, and it was like, or no time has passed. No time has passed, you know. Um, and they don't know how they got there. They have no recollection of driving that, that distance, that 50 miles. So, yeah, we get all sorts of time dilations, time time warps, if you will, uh, reported. It's not an everyday thing, but it, it does happen quite a bit in these cases because when you get close to these objects, if they're bending space-time to get here or ripping holes in space-time to get here, and you go through that, get close to it, you're going to experience the same time dilation or time effects that they that they are. You know, you're not you're not in your current frame of reference anymore. You're now in their frame of reference. So if you were like for example, I don't know, on another planet where time moves differently, mm-hmm. for example, like maybe a minute is a year or whatever depending on where you are, mm-hmm. something like that. Is that a I'm well, doing a terrible job of explaining because I, well, I, I don't know enough about it. I don't really know. I mean, you know, um I think it's time is relative to the time frame you're in. And so if you're in a craft and that craft is in a different inertial time frame uh, than than on Earth, um, we know like for astronauts go up and they go up for long periods of time, certainly Earth, because they go, the speed that they're traveling, they, they're actually, their biological clock slows down. So they actually go back younger than when they, you know, not younger than when they left, but younger than if they'd been on Earth for that same amount of time. But a very mi- minute amount, Very right? minute amount. But now if you accelerate that and you use technology to help propel yourself and do things where you're now literally traveling speed of light, if you will. Um, that, that grows, that, that could, amount could, could be, be significant. Bigger, yeah. Um, lastly, I just have to ask you two things quickly. Um, that experience you have with your brother, do you think that something – blanked out your desire to continue building a craft? Do you think there was some interference where you like received a message to no longer pursue your endeavor to build a craft? Well, definitely something happened because we, we literally, I mean, we didn't, we didn't build it and we didn't 
even considered talking about it anymore. So the, the was it because you were satisfied that you saw one? Do you think, or do you think it was just like some kind of unspoken message that you received to just leave it alone? Again, I don't really know the answer to that, but I would say based on the the things I've cases I've been involved with with MUFON for the last thirty years, uh, this is not an uncommon thing that people. Literally say, you know, it's the weirdest deal. We had this incredible sighting, you know, the UFO came down for a little longer, saw garden, and you know, we didn't talk about it for a year, you know, and then when we did talk about it, half the people couldn't remember that it happened, you know, they had no recollection of it happening. So I don't know what it is about our memory or our minds and how they operate, but these beings have the, seem to have the ability to manipulate some of our thoughts and some of our ongoing actions towards that. So for me. I, I think I was shown this object because someone somewhere knew that someplace down the line I would be doing what I'm doing today. Because if I hadn't seen this craft, I don't know that I would be the executive You don't think you'd be here? Fun. Well, I, don't, I won't say I wouldn't be here because I always had an interest in UFOs, but I wouldn't have the same passion for it, right? I mean, sure. The thing that always amazes me is the number of people who are involved in this field and they've never seen a UFO. They've never had a sighting. And yet they're passionate about it because they've talked to enough other people that have gotten passionate about it. So whether I would have been one of those or not, I don't know. But uh, does that make you also give you the interest to listen to people when they call? Like you were telling me oh, about yeah. the lady, because oh, yeah. you've been through something similar. So when you know someone calls with that right. excitement, or you know, well, when someone calls out and they got an extraordinary story, I don't blow it off. I mean, I I, I, listen, I listen to them because I because I sit from a humble position of I had my sighting. There's no reason why anyone should believe what I said about my sighting. So you know, I'll I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to listen to it, and I'm going to take it as real. You know, and, and now we do have cases where we end up finding out what they saw was something quite normal because people, the, the human mind is interesting. You know, if it sees something and it believes it's extraterrestrial, I mean, it will take on that I mean, that belief. I mean, you could put them on a polygraph test and say, did you see an alien? Right. And they would say, and they'll absolutely, believe it. I saw the alien craft. It was real to them. Yeah, it was real to them. That's just how our minds work. So... Uh, case in point, had an airline pilot put in a report in the last year of a, of a, of a mothership hovering over Laguna Niguel down here, uh, south here. And uh, I intercepted it, and I sent him a note, and I said, uh, could it possibly have been this? And there was a guy down there who built these big remote-controlled aircraft, and he put a big ring on them with lights on it, and he would fly it around behind the walls, and he would, <laughs> he would f- flick the lights on and off. And it would gave be- you a lot of unnecessary reports. Exactly. <laughs> And I said, is it possible it could be this? And this guy was an airline pilot. And he said, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. That's exactly <laughs> what I saw. He said, oh, I was, I was freaking out. I thought I'd actually seen a real UFO. And, I, and he, was like, he was like freaking out because like, he'd been an airline pilot for 30 years. And, and he's thinking, how am I going to explain this? You know, <laughs> I'm going to jeopardize my job. But, but he, was, he was appreciative. Now, not everybody's appreciative. Some people don't like it bursting their bubble and, and doing it. But, you know, we, we're trying to find the truth. And uh, – are, are UFOs real? Absolutely, they're real. Are, are some of them not from this planet? Absolutely, many of them are not from this planet. So, I mean, we can go with that, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lastly, very lastly, any merit to the conspiracy theory that the reptilians are like masterminds and like all these prestigious people are really reptilians in disguise? Have you ever heard of that? Do you have oh, any? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I've heard it. Um, There's no evidence no that evidence you have a report it, to report that, have, that. Not in our reports to, to support it. I mean, I know there's another race that's out being talked about out there 
Uh, I won't mention it, that, that we don't have zero records of that race existing. doesn't mean it couldn't exist, but we have no records to say it exists. Do you think that it's – sorry, just one other thing. Do you think that these races are at feuds, a feuding with one another? Do they know that they exist here I, simultaneously? I see them more working in concert than I do feuding with each other. I mean, I you know, I see like the tall tall grays working with the shorter grays. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen humans – Travis Walton case where he had human-looking uh, beings working with uh, what were tall grays, I guess you would say, uh, on the same ship, in the same ship. Uh, there have been reports of our own military working with uh, ETs. We've had a number of those reports. How do you prove that? It's very hard to prove. You get the, you get the story from a military person or someone. But, you know, there's no corroborating evidence. There's no way to go into the fort, go 14 levels down and go see it because you're not going to get anywhere near it because it's it's classified, right? So. So um, when, you, when you talk from fact, what I can say for fact is that these craft are real. They are in our sky. They're not us. In many cases, they're not us. Um, and so where are they from and who are they? And I, from that, on our website, we talk about uh, what MUFON knows after 50 years of research. And it's basically that the universe is teeming with life, and we're a very small part about it. So we should just get used to that and uh, move on. I feel like I could take a break and we can come back and do like another three hours. Uh, uh, this is so fascinating to me. I, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, Jan. Thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Is there anything you wanted to talk about well, just before to, you know, people, um, um, we wrap up? Well, just to, we didn't people say. should look into MUFON. If you, have, if you have any interest at all in this, you know, certainly go to our website, sign up for the Facebook page and um, you know, for, for our mailing list. I mean, that's all free. If you have a deeper interest in it, you want to learn some about the, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, Become a member, and you'll get our magazine each month. Um, um, I'm always happy to talk to people. Uh, come to our symposium, you know, and meet some of the speakers and talk to some of the other members. Well, that's a great way to, to get started, and that's in this July 17th through the 19th in Las Vegas, JW Marriott, and we do that every year, usually in July. Um, but it's all on our website, MUFON.com. So go there and get started. We'd love to love to have you be part of the team. Awesome. Yeah, I know you're a busy guy, so I want to let you go. But I, I feel like we could continue talking forever. This <laughs> is so interesting. Thanks, Mark. I uh, appreciate Janet, it. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was a great, great talk. Thank you so much. Peace out, Transmodians.